Welcome to another SpireCast event. I'm Drew Deppler, and I'm pleased to be your host on SpireCast today. I'm excited to introduce someone to you that I know well. Alan Algram will be joining us for a few moments to share some insights about his new book for leaders. Spire is pleased to bring you another resource in this series of Pastor Health Resiliency with SpireCast. Please look up former episodes and resources on the Spire mobile app. Uh, you can get that wherever you get apps on your phone. Just search for Spire Network and get connected to download the app. Also, I want to uh, make sure you're making plans to attend this year's Spire conference. I'm excited to be there myself. Looking forward to the opportunity. It's September 27th, 28th, and 29th in Orlando, Florida. You can actually sign up at spire.network. That's easy to remember, spire.network. Get the information on the conference and join with a whole lot of leaders who are trying to make a difference uh, in what we do. So we all know that ministry is challenging and trying to stay healthy and resilient as a church leader is more challenging. Uh, that's why SpireCast was created. You see, Spire doesn't want to only help you find the tools and resources that equip you to learn from, healthy, from a healthy place, but we also wanna give you encouragement and support to implement the best ministry practices so you can stay resilient uh, for all the challenges that we face. Twice a month, Spire is bringing you an opportunity to hear from a leading expert and give you the chance to ask the question you have to move the best ministry ideas to actionable steps. Uh, this morning, we're talking with Alan Algram, the founding pastor of Rocky Mountain Christian Church, where he served as lead pastor for 29 years. He also served as the director of pastor care and leadership and development at Blessing Ranch Ministries and is currently the chief soul care officer with Covenant Connections for Pastors. Alan recently released Soul Strength. That's Rhythms for Thriving that we're going to talk about today. So I'd like to bring Alan in and get our conversation started. Hey, Alan, what's going on? Hey, good to see you, big guy. Glad we got you figured out with some of the tech issues and getting started, but um, good to see you. Uh, what, what, what have you been already doing this morning? You usually start with some rhythms uh, that help you stay focused. What have you been up to this morning? Oh, well, uh, early as usual, and uh, a great uh, uh, connection with my uh, favorite woman, and uh, a deep, deep connection uh, with uh, the Lord. Uh, love to do reading and reflecting uh, every morning in uh, the beautiful setting of my home uh, study. So uh, looking forward to a great day. Sun is shining in Colorado. I'm going to be getting... Uh, our dog out for a walk soon and then uh, go swimming and uh, uh, some gymming. So a lot of fun things happen today and always talking to some uh, life-giving people around the country. That's great. I know you uh, practice what you preach, as you say, uh, eat your own cooking. Um, so I appreciate always hearing what you're up to and how you're caring for your soul. So in this book uh, that you, you've blessed us with, um, you really talk about the, the, the health of soul, the soul health of leaders today. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you would assess the soul health of leaders today. Well, uh, several years ago, my uh, good friend and partner, uh, Dr. John Walker, asked me that question before he was speaking with a group of leaders back east somewhere and said, uh, what do I tell the elders? And they said, well, you can tell them uh, three things about their lead pastor and senior staff. Uh, they're just... Uh, running scared, uh, chasing this constant uh, issue of being relevant. They don't know how long they can keep it up. Uh, you can tell them that they're running on fumes. So they got kind of tired that a good night's sleep won't 
fix. And uh, worst of all, they're running alone, at least they feel they are, that nobody really understands about their core. And ever since I said that to John, I've seen more and more illustrations of that. I think it's more an issue today. Uh, the whole pandemic thing and other issues have just uh, exacerbated uh, these challenges that were true a few years back. They're even more true right now. Yeah, I think we've been through a challenging season as leaders find their passion to come out of that. It's got to come from an internal place, uh, really has to come from a place that is uh, is one of depth of soul. So yeah. when you uh, leading a mega church, I mean, I'm sure you encountered a lot of different soul crushing experiences, uh-huh. uh, some of which I've read in the book and some of which I'm sure you haven't shared. But um, when you talk about the pressure of leading a mega church, you've led small churches, medium-sized churches, and large churches. Um, how has your definition of success changed since you've been leading for so long over those years? That's a great question. I, I think that uh, uh, leading in, in public is uh, a very uh, uh, fulfilling uh, opportunity. And I've had that, still have it speaking to groups of people, uh, small, medium, and very, very large, uh, very satisfying in an ego sense. Wow, uh, I'm able to influence these people for good. But the reality is, I know that the most soul-satisfying experiences I have are always face-to-face in small settings. So even though I don't speak to large numbers of people all the time, as I used to, I do have opportunity to influence people up close and personal. And I have to say that uh, I'm as uh, fulfilled, actually, I think in some ways, I'm more fulfilled now than I've ever been because I believe that what, where life is really found is in uh, the richness of relationships. So I believe that the ideal is to go small and go slow and go strong with a, a, a life-giving circle of people that uh, God is blessing us with. And we all have that. We all have that. At least we have the opportunity for that. That's good. I I think, you know, just me personally, I'm sure other leaders can identify with this. I am not good at going small, going (laughs) slow and going strong. Can you talk a little bit about more what that means in your mind when you talk about that? What what does it mean to be small, to focus on those small things and then also going slow uh, and then going strong? Well, I uh, got myself all gummed up a few years back when I was uh, going to be teaching a doctoral class uh, and and, uh, is on the theme of discipleship and i it just finally i was able to uh, unlock my mental gridlock and thinking well if we were going to disciple like jesus how would we do it and it was obvious well uh we'd do what jesus did jesus went small mm-hmm. um he went right. low and he went strong he shared uh everything that uh his followers were capable of hearing every at every, any given time so I thought, well, that's really the way discipleship transformation happens. Uh, yeah, we can sow the seeds in a large setting, but the most fulfilling, meaningful, impactful things happen relationally, up close and personal. Yeah, it really is a, a, the challenge is to do that internal versus external. I think uh, one of my favorite quotes in reading through um, the parts of the book I've been able to get through at this point was uh, leaders often get distracted by what's external versus what's internal. Mm-hmm. Um, when you write that, what, what are you thinking? What, 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 does, uh, what, what, what are the situations you've seen over time that, where that's happened? 
Well, I've been gripped lately with uh, the parable of the soils and that uh, really, as you know, uh, are the four heart types. You have the hard heart, you have the shallow heart, you have the crowded heart, and you have the receptive heart. And what I see, rarely among leaders do I see hard hearts, occasionally. Um, rarely is it just a shallow heart, uh, occasionally. Most of the time, it's a distracted heart. Uh, and we like to think that we are receptive hearts, and truly, um, many times we are. But we live in a very distracting time, very distracting culture, whether it's uh, technology or just the crises of any given day or week. And what I see is that we're all subject to the distraction of focusing on uh, circumstantial things that are daunting and very difficult and very complex. And uh, we have to take care that we're feeding our own soul so that we have the resources to address these issues. So for me, that means we have a responsibility to uh, take care of our own souls. We have, we have to mentor ourselves. So that's why I spend time every day uh, breaking bread with the dead. My morning mentors feed, feed me uh, every day because I don't know what any given day is going to bring. And to be clear, the breaking bread with the dead are the, the mentors that have gone before you, spiritual leaders. This isn't a, some former family members, right? <laughs> no, we're talking here about C.S. Lewis and Dallas Willard, uh, Oswald Chambers. Uh, of course, King David, I read the Psalms and Proverbs every day. Uh, I'm always enriched by God's work. Primary source for me of fulfillment and enrichment is God's word. I know. I've, se I've seen you do that. Appreciate that. Um, kind of the, the tagline for this is thriving versus surviving. Mm -hmm. And I think, what do, you, what do you think when you think of leaders, what are they surviving today that they need to be thriving in? When, when you think of leaders today in churches that uh, maybe just, you know, even this week as they're trying to figure out what's what is the focus, what's the point of where they're going? Obviously, they're focused on Easter. But what what is the difference in your mind between surviving and thriving? Well, I think uh, this week is a perfect illustration of why we need soul care. Because every leader is uh, uh, filled with the anticipation of this great gathering, if, especially if they're uh, in the lead role speaking or in some significant role leading in a ministry. And they're anxious about it. They're excited about it. And frankly, I, I actually talked to one just uh, yesterday is anxious about it because we feel that there's a lot of pressure. We have this great opportunity. We don't want to blow it. And what strikes me is that the greatest impact we have is not in sharing sermons, but in sharing life messages. And if we can come to understand that the people that are going to be with us are in desperate need of hope, and we can only give what we ourselves have. So if we can find our hope in the community of the resurrection and uh, address those who are coming, with the sense of confidence that Christ, the living Christ is with us. He is in us, he is for us. And that we're part of a community that, you know, I like to say, you know, talking to a couple of my buddies uh, just the other day, you know, it's nice to remind folks that the church actually gathers every Sunday, you know, and what we gather is in celebration that God is with us. And there's no need for despair that he's gonna redeem all things. And I, I uh, struck recently, uh, you know, 
mind my own business reading the Bible. And uh, I, I hit this passage where uh, it's after the resurrection, Jesus hanging out with his friends. And, and it says that, that while he was blessing them, he was taken up from them. And what got me was, wow, what a way to go. Uh, <laughs> that thing that Jesus did on earth was to bless his, uh, his followers. And they, of course, were being blessed by the privilege of doing life together. That was that, that little core, the community of the resurrection. And because of their confidence that uh, there was redemption and uh, resurrection for themselves, they were able to change the world. I think that's where the excitement is uh, for me, that uh, there are going to be people coming on Easter Sunday that haven't been in church for a long, long time. But with it, they're going to get, it's a catalytic opportunity to draw them in to a life-giving uh, uh, relationship. That's great. Yeah, I really think what one of those lines that stuck with me out of the, the reading uh, was also just being uh, the resurrection is not past tense, it's present tense. It's not just past tense. And that we can live in that freedom in Christ every day, not as you described some of the challenges of the crushing weight that often can be overwhelming and the, the duty and the responsibility to do it right, to do it well, but to understand that we get to rely on his strength that lives within us. So powerful words, powerful words. Easter changes everything. It does. Easter changes everything. And when we get grip with that, uh, it's our privilege to, uh, if you will, uh, not just inspire, but to invigorate people who are craving a message of uh, of hope. Well, and that's especially helpful this week as we focus on that. But for folks that will watch this in the future, it's it's important every single week, every single day that we live in that. And I appreciate that about what you were saying. In in uh, Soul Care, you're talking about twelve transcendent principles mm-hmm. for actually breaking the code. Basically, how to transform and enrich your life with these twelve transcendent principles for soul care. Um, what's which 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 of those are kind of your favorites, Alan? Which which uh which principle really uh, stands out? I'm sure you love all of them, uh, but which one stands out to you? <laughs> uh, I uh, it, on any given time moment, you know, I can focus on different things because that's uh, the need of the moment, if you will. But I I really come back to um, uh, leaving heart strong uh, versus headstrong. I. Uh, lament that so many leaders are uh, stuck in a neck up kind of uh, approach to life. And, uh, and they're filled with bravado. It's kind of like the difference between David and Goliath, you know, Goliath was, he had uh, this giant, uh, uh, you know, a man of great bravado, uh, but it was David uh, who was heartstrung. Uh, and that boldness came from his confidence in the living God who was with him. Well, how much more for us? And that, I believe, is the strength that we all have, is when we speak to people um, out of our heart of confidence that God is with us and God is uh, for us. I find that most leaders get stuck neck up, and the the life that's truly life is heart up. Yeah, I think that's that's the challenge for sure. I mean, I, I definitely resonate with that myself of just at times you get focused, uh, the illustration I've used is you get focused on the coffee cup instead of the coffee. Um, yeah. What matters yeah. is the coffee. People people don't want to drink bad coffee. Well, most people don't want to drink bad coffee. I know you occasionally are fine. I go there, Drew, coffee. you know my preference. <laughs> but, uh, 
but we tend to get focused on uh, making sure we have the right cup, making sure we have the right things on the outside of the cup, make sure the cup's the right size when really what matters is the coffee. And I think that's, when you yeah. think about what you're saying, the heart strong, it really is important that we start with the heart. Uh, and most of us, at least for myself, I tend to start with the head way before I get to the heart. Well, it's, you know, uh, man looks on the outward appearance, uh, God looks on the heart. And, uh, you know, we're all concerned that, you know, uh, we showered this morning and, you know, put on decent clothing. Uh, we don't want to distract and offend people. But really what communicates is uh, I, I think a key word for me recently has been earnestness. And it it's like Psalm 63, earnestly, I seek thee, Lord. And that's how I approach it. Earnestly, I want God to speak to me. Like, what am I to do about this? And how am I to uh, understand this? And and in my communication, I don't do a lot of shouting, but uh, I do speak with earnestness because of conviction. And that just, uh, I think that is more impactful than eloquence, uh, the earnestness. I think oftentimes we also think, you know, heart language is kind of a sentimental or, uh, or for sissies, it's emotion versus energy. It's, it's, yeah. it's not courageous. And I think when we, when we understand, look at scripture, like you've pointed out in, in soul strength, there's really the, the heart is emotion is energy. It comes from courage. Uh, how would you expound upon that? Like just the, the idea that, that heart is not just some emotional feeling thing. It is some empowering thing. Well, it's really about the deepest part of you. And I used to think, uh, as many uh, have, and maybe some still do, that um, heart language was uh, all about sentimentality. And I came to realize, especially, frankly, in, in reading the Psalms every day, oh, I, at first I thought they were just, uh, you know, sweet little uh, vignettes for uh, uh, the ladies group uh, uh in the church, uh, my, I have a visual of my, my grandmother, uh, in her rocking chair, reading, the, reading the Bible. And that's kind of how I looked at it. And then I realized, wait a minute, the Psalms are, um, songs from a warrior poet. And as I got into that, I realized that David is sharing his heart openly in, with God in, in these uh, prayerful songs. That helped me to get in touch with the need to be honest before God and to celebrate that he is with me and for me. And I, in fact, that's some of what I was reviewing this just this morning. I saw it again the, back when we were in the throes of a monumental uh, legal battle with uh, Boulder County, a multi-million dollar legal battle over land use and how I was challenged uh, in federal court and I saw uh, God work and giving me words in the moment that uh, enabled us ultimately to be victorious in that legal battle, but it, it pressed me away. And I saw God supply what I needed when I needed it as I was uh, drawing from this deep well of uh, encouragement from his word. So he gave me strength of heart and I, to me, it, this is not like a possibility. This for me is a reality. I know that this is true. 
Yeah, um, for sure. Well, I want to encourage folks to uh, drop a comment or a question in, uh, in in the live chat just so we can respond to that. But uh, I've got one that I received already, and I, I want to ask you this, Alan. What motivates a pastor to do soul care when things are going well in most aspects of their life? I think a lot of times people actually are, are saying, hey, I, I tend to focus on soul care when things aren't going well. But what motivates me to do it when things are going well? How do I stay consistent in that? Well, I uh, uh, have often thought that uh, we're in leadership. You're either coming out of a crisis, you're in the middle of a crisis, or you're heading into a crisis. You're either coming out of a season of great challenge, you're in the middle of a season of great challenge, or hey, buckle up, you're you're heading into a season of great challenge. Well, that's true. But I also like to say you're either coming out of a season of extraordinary blessing or you're in the middle of a season of extraordinary blessing or you're heading into a season of extraordinary blessing. Which is it? And the answer is both. <laughs> uh, we are daily preparing for this day and the days yet to come. So even during my season of transition, I, why do I keep doing the stuff I'm doing? Well, I, I, well it's just, it was life for me. It's life. Uh, it, feeding my own soul. Little did I know that uh, my daily reflection would result in this book that has, uh, I'm several thousand already. I, I'm, I'm like amazed. Uh, I frankly had low expectations. I have high hopes for it, but I had low expectations. I had no idea uh, how widely this was going to be uh, used. But it's springing from uh, the investment that I made in my own soul over a period of years. Yeah, I, I think that's that's great. Um, so when you think about community and, and cultivating soul care, uh, one of the things that I that struck me a bit is that, that sometimes we try to do soul care on our own. And uh -huh. soul care really seems to be more of a team sport uh, than yeah. an individual exercise. Yeah. So there's kind of, you lay out some some strategies for that and kind of three predominant ways that people can, can grow in their soul care and sort of a, a good, better, best approach. What? How would you describe that? Well, uh, for example, with regard to the book, I said that the book is good, and I know it's good because I got thirty-eight people of uh, some note saying so. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's filled with great stuff from my mentors. Uh, I've got lots of lots of rich stuff from my mentors in there. So the book's good, but better is the companion journal because it slows you down and, and forces you to reflect best is doing that in the context of uh, what I call soul care circle. I'm actually doing that with some business leaders uh, right now. And I also use this with the covenant groups that I facilitate uh, uh, covenant groups we have for both men and women in ministry. So, uh, yeah, it's like a community is life. Uh, William Barclay says somewhere that you can't understand Christianity apart from community. What I know most leaders about community is you come listen to me talk and then we're in community where in reality, it's, it's, it's much more personal uh, than that. So our life is going to be no richer than our relationships. And what I find is that most leaders are woefully lacking in uh, personal life-giving relationships. That's that's great. I appreciate that. Um, I, I think as as I kind of come around this, there's there's this 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 idea of rhythms for thriving, mm -hmm. and you've you've really come up with a rhythm of that. And oftentimes, I I think sometimes we have 
these dutiful disciplines versus really grace-filled rhythms. Yes. Yes. What's the difference in your mind between something that is a, a dutiful discipline that has benefit, but something that is actually a rhythm of grace that is soul feeding and energizing? Well, for years, I lived with a whole list of goals in seven different areas, three in each area. And I drove my uh, wife and uh, my staff crazy with that stuff. Uh, now I prefer to talk about life-giving rhythms, and especially in three categories. Uh, the life-giving uh, rhythms I have relationally, uh, the life-giving uh, rhythms I have reflectively, that's how I begin every morning. Uh, the life-giving rhythms I have recreationally, I, I, I mean, the reality is, I just read this yesterday, uh, you know, depression and anxiety do not like to live together. Uh, if depression and activity, rather, do not like to live together. The whole idea is uh, if if we're just sitting in a recliner eating Doritos, that's not life-giving. Uh, it may be good once in a while. Sorry, Drew. Uh, I know you like to do that. But uh, uh, we we need to be, we need to have movement. It, we were designed for movement. And... Uh, uh, that's why I encourage every leader to do those things that are life giving and activities that are life giving. Now, I have a bunch of them um, that I enjoy and uh, I'm not telling anybody they got to do what I do, but you got to find something that is uh, good for you because motion is lotion. I mean, it's good for your whole system. Uh, the whole idea of relational uh, connectivity. There's not a day goes by that I don't have rich conversations with life-giving people. But most of all, I'm rooted in uh, the reflective rhythm that I have in reading a variety of uh, life-giving things. And I know this, the more reflective I am, the more effective I am. Wow, that's really strong. Well, I want to give the last question to one that was submitted. I got hundreds I could ask you. We could talk for hours and hours. But uh, the last question that we received submitted was about taking care of your soul in relations to Philippians 2.12. Uh, how, does, how does soul care fit with working out one's salvation with fear and trembling? How does that, how does that fit in your mind um, as you think about this? Great question. Okay. Um, uh, I am not the Bible scholar that some are, but I do remember on this one, not a setup. I mean, that's a great question. Uh, Working on your salvation with fear and trembling, that's kind of how I used to look at it, like effort and uh, fear and pressure. But it's an idiomatic expression for a humble sense of trust. So if we can look at it like that, we work on our salvation in a sense of it's 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 not something that is involved with performance. It doesn't it. That's not what it means. It's. It's the working in and realizing that we are in a life-giving trust relationship with the lover of our soul. And that has been uh, a lifelong journey for me to arrive at this point and to have the movie on stinking thinking and just goofy theology at times. And, and I can't blame anybody for that except myself to come to, to see that God works in us, both to will and to do his good pleasure. And I have been called to do some very, very difficult things that I never would have chosen, but I was compelled to do it. And I think that once we have 
the hard, hardest thing is not the doing, it's the willing. And I've had God uh, uh, empower my will, if you will. And that's just being open to his call. And to me, the great privilege we have is to live with a bigger yes of a life-giving, compelling. And God, by his grace, gives us uh, glimmers of that, uh, indicators of that every single day, if we would just uh, listen up to him. Those are great words, Alan. Thank you so much for that encouragement. Uh, to everybody watching along, if you haven't picked up a copy of Soul Strength, I would encourage you to do that. You can get that on YouTube and uh, be blessed as I have been by reading through this. Uh, also want to encourage you to check out Covenant Connections and some of the work that they do. And Alan has leading with a team there. So, Alan, what's the website address for Covenant Connections? Well, it's uh, covenantconnections.life. Uh, covenantconnections.life. You can get the uh, the book, the journal off of uh, uh, Amazon, of course. Uh, that's how I got my first one myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Barnes and Noble and Books a Million. And it's easy to it's easy to get. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks, Alan. I appreciate it. Thanks for being our guest today. Uh, for the, everybody watching, don't forget to check out the other episodes of Spirecast on the Spire mobile app. And remember to register for the 2022 Spire Conference. Alan, are you going to be able to make it this year? Absolutely. All yeah. right. We'll see you in Florida. At, register at spire.network. Thanks again for joining with us. See you next time. Bye.